Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast, where you'll find fresh messages uploaded weekly. Pathway Church is a Bible-based church located in Peterborough, Ontario, and we're on a mission to reach people far from God and see them become devoted followers of Jesus. We hope that what you hear today will help you to take one step closer to Jesus. Thanks so much for joining us, and if you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe. Good morning. Happy Canada Day. Yes, uh, I don't know if you know this, I kind, of, I kind of alluded to this last Sunday as I was talking about our, our summer plans, but uh, you know, Canada Day weekend, this long weekend that kicks off the summer, is the worst attended Sunday of the year for churches. And I got to tell you, only the most faithful, only the most committed, only the most devote to Jesus attend on this Sunday. And that's you, so thanks. It's great to see so many of you here. Uh, with us today as we celebrate. Well, today I want, to, um, I want to talk to you about the 12th apostle, the 12th apostle. Um, but before I jump into that, let me just give you a little bit of backstory. Um, for those that aren't extremely familiar with the New Testament, we have an Old Testament and New Testament that divide our Bible. The Old Testament tells the story of the nation of Israel and God's plan through various uh, covenants that he would do something amazing in the world. And the New Testament begins at the birth of Christ. And if you open the New Testament, you're going to find four gospel accounts Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each one of them tells a different, the same story with a different vantage point. And so each one of them tells the story of Jesus' earthly life and ministry while he was here with us on the earth. Three of those gospel accounts end with Jesus ascending up into the clouds to go up to heaven. And he is going to send his, his 12 disciples, because he had 12 disciples, he's going to send them, and, and he asked them to wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit would descend. And then these 12 men and a host of others were going to radically transform the world by carrying his mission and his message of his resurrection to the world. It's going to change history. The world that we know it has been transformed by a small group of people. And, and this week I was, I was spending some time um, doing some work on our, our last year's annual report. So I was compiling numbers and statistics and all of these types of things for last year for us as a church because uh, we wanted to publish that and, and get it into your hands. And so if you're looking for it after the service, you can find it on our website, on the Give Now page or the Docs and Forms, and you can look at it in all of its fabulous glory. Uh, but I was working on that this week, and as I was doing that, I was looking at the numbers and I was looking at the giving and the attendance and the kids and the baptisms, and I thought, it's amazing to think of all that's happened and all the amazing people that have come and joined us as a church over the years. Because eight years ago today, uh, we were meeting with a, a small group of people. There were 10 of us, my wife and I, and four other young couples that were meeting. And 10 of us were saying, what could we do in our city? How could we reach people? How could we share the gospel in a different way? And with this little group of people, all of this has come about, which is amazing. But it shouldn't surprise us, because what Jesus was going to do in the world began with this small group of followers called his disciples. And, and for the record, his 12 disciples, after Jesus was resurrected, they become apostles. All right. And so the same 12 disciples become the apostles. And these are the men that are going to lead the church forward into the future. And it's a pretty cool story. And so what I want to do today is I want to pick it up there. Uh, we're going to go to Acts chapter one. And so following these four accounts of Jesus's life, he, he goes to heaven Acts is the Acts of the Apostles. So now we're going to hear about the men who follow Jesus and what they do next. And they begin planting churches and teaching people. And then Paul shows up and goes out. And this, this thing called Christianity begins to go out into the entire world. But it begins here in the first chapter of Acts. And I want to show you something interesting today. In Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 20... 
This is Peter that you're going to hear from. And Peter stands up, in an, he's in an upper room in Jerusalem. There are 120 loyal followers of Jesus. After all his years of ministry, there's 120. And there they are in the upper room, and Peter stands up. He's got a message for them, and here's what he says, beginning in verse 20. He says, for it is written in the book of Psalms. May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. Peter, what are you talking about? Peter says, I'm talking about Judas Iscariot. Jesus had his 12 hand-picked disciples, and one of them betrayed him. Many of you would know the story. On the night that he would be betrayed, he's having dinner with his 12 closest friends, and Judas leaves the place, collects 30 pieces of silver, and then leads the soldiers to the place where Jesus was meeting with his disciples to pray, betrays him with a kiss. And what happens next is Jesus is, of course, falsely accused, tried, and executed, and Judas buys a field and hangs himself in it. So one of Jesus' 12 hand-picked disciples, who would have been an apostle, is now dead. And the 12 are now 11. And, and Peter stands up, okay, before anything else happens, he's like, we must replace Judas. We must have the 12th apostle. Now, I don't know if you know this, but 12 is um, a number that you will find all throughout the Bible. 12 is considered the number of perfection. Don't ask me why. It's just a perfect number. All right, 12 is also the number of governmental authority. So you go back to the Old Testament, there were 12 tribes in Israel. Not 11, 12 tribes. There are 12 minor prophets. If you were to go into the temple way back in the olden days, there were 12 loaves of bread and 12 of this and 12 of that. Just 12s everywhere. And then when Jesus comes along, he handpicks 12 disciples. He's like, he's got all these people following him. He's like, you, 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 you. Judas is like, me? Yeah, you. He picks 12 out of all the many followers that he had. 12 is the number of perfection. When you go to the book of Revelation at the end of your Bible, it describes what heaven is like. And in heaven, it's, there's 12 of all kinds of things. It's really fascinating. 12 pearly gates. And 12 of this and 12 of that. It is the perfect number. I think that's why there are 12 donuts in a box. I, I don't know if that's actually true, but maybe someday in heaven there will be donuts and they'll be healthy in heaven. So the 12 are now 11. Peter says, we've got to fix this. See, Jesus sent his disciples out two by two. Never alone, always two by two, not three, two by two by two. So these 12 disciples who now become apostles are all going to go out and do the work of ministry and there's one guy left by himself. What do I do? <laughs> Peter says, we must have a 12th apostle. And so he begins to explain that they're going to choose the 12th apostle. This is fascinating to me. Because I don't know about you, but if I'm thinking about how do we choose the next apostle? How do we choose the 12th apostle of Jesus? Because Jesus had handpicked them all. He didn't tell them what his thinking was. He didn't give them a blueprint for how to choose an appropriate apostle. It just doesn't exist. And yet they needed to appoint one. And so Peter is going to choose a 12th apostle. Him and the other disciples are going to do this together. And here's the question. How would you do it? How would you pick the 12th apostle? I can tell you how, how churches pick pastors. That's fascinating. Uh, depending on your denomination and background, some, some churches do it this way. And again, none of these are, are bad. They're actually all pretty, pretty intelligent. The first one is a preach-off. Now, of course, you don't call it a preach-off. They would never call it that, you know. 
But it literally is that. You know, a church will have a bunch of candidates, and they'll each come and take turns preaching on a Sunday, and the people will all sit back and go, ooh, I really like number two. And they vote. He's, and I mean, this actually makes sense, because if you're going to have to listen to somebody for 40 to 50 Sundays a year, you should probably like what he has to say, right? So there's, there's the, the age-old preach-off, but uh, Peter doesn't suggest that. Um, you, could, you could look at their leadership qualifications. You could have applicants hand in resumes, also a good idea. How much theological training? How much leadership training? How much ministry experience do they have? Is this person qualified to do the job? Let's look at their resume. Mm. Let's choose the person with the most letters behind their name. All makes logical sense. They're not going to do that. You could look and say, well, who's the most influential person within the church? There's this one person, man, when they talk, everyone listens. When they go somewhere, everyone follows. Maybe that person with a leadership gift ought to be the 12th apostle. Makes a lot of sense. Or maybe the most generous person. Hey, that guy or that gal, man, they just write huge checks, and they're obviously for the church. They should be the 12th apostle. These are all logical things that you and I might think of as we're trying to choose the 12th apostle. But I want you to see what Peter and the other disciples are going to do. It tells us in the next verse, in verse 21, and Peter speaks up after saying we need to replace Judas, and he says, what we need is one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. This is what we really need for this 12th apostle is somebody who's been there the whole time. What we need is someone who's been faithful. What we need is somebody who was there at the beginning, there in the middle, there at the end. What we need is somebody who was there in the good times and someone who was there in the bad times. We need to find someone who was with Jesus when he went in and when he went out. He continues in the next verse saying, beginning from the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us. Now, let me give a bit of backstory to this. John the Baptist was out at the River Jordan. He was baptizing people for the the forgiveness of their sins. And people were coming to him by the thousands. He was a a local tourist stop. And crowds would come along the banks and he'd be baptizing people. And people were excited because this was a sign that the Messiah was coming. And then one day Jesus shows up at the river. Before he started preaching, before he'd done any cool miracles, healed people, he shows up at the river And when John sees him coming down toward the river, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All of John's disciples, because he had a whole bunch of faithful guys that were serving him, they all perked up. What did he just say? Did he just say, That guy's the guy, not him? That guy's the guy? So they're looking. Jesus comes down to the water, and John says to Jesus, It's not I who should baptize you, but you. I mean, you're the guy. You should baptize me. And Jesus says, No, no, no. Baptize me. And so he baptizes Jesus, and when he comes out of the water, a voice from heaven speaks, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And I don't know whether the crowds on the shore heard those words, or whether it was just Jesus or Jesus and John, but let's just assume that people heard this. And the disciples of John hear a voice from heaven going, this is my guy. And what happens when Jesus walks out of that water and leaves that place, many of John's followers left him and began to follow Jesus. Did you know that? Did you know that of the 12 disciples, many of them, we're not sure how many, but many of them were actually John's disciples first, and they left John and went, it's been great, thanks for training us, we're going with that guy, and they left with Jesus. And so what Peter says is, we got to find somebody who was there on that day, who heard the word of God say, this is my beloved son. we got to have somebody who was there at the beginning, and he goes on to say, we have to find somebody that was with us when Jesus was taken up. So after he had been crucified after he rose from the dead and then ascended into heaven 
there were people there watching it happen, and they go, we need to find somebody who was there at the beginning and there at the end. Did you know there's something called a product life cycle? And if you're in marketing, then you know all about this. If, you, if you're into products and, and that type of stuff, then you'll get this. I got a little image to show you. So this is a product life cycle. And every product has a life cycle. If, if the first, the first uh, section is what's called early adopters, okay? These are the people that are in at the beginning. So these are the people, you know, for example, who sleep outside of Best Buy so they can get the latest iPhone when it releases the next morning at 8 a.m. And most of us in the room go, you're crazy. It's the middle of winter. Why would you do that? But they are early adopters. I mean, they haven't held the phone yet. They haven't used it. They haven't read a review on it. They are just so, we're in on this thing. And so they are there at the beginning. And it's usually a small percentage of people, but they are, they're all in at the beginning. Then the next group of people are the early majority. So these are the people that go, oh, I really like the new iPhone. Maybe I'll get one at Christmas when stock comes up and the prices are cut a little bit. Yeah, I really want one, but I'm waiting for the right moment. And these are the early majority. So then iPhone sales go up and everything's going great. Then you have the late majority. The late majority are the people who, um, they're not all gung-ho for it. Maybe a year into the iPhone's life cycle, their company goes, hey, we're getting new phones. Here's an iPhone. Sweet. I guess I'm an iPhone user. (laughs) These are the late majority. So now all of a sudden, all these people are using iPhones. And then something better comes along. And people start dropping off and you have the laggards. The laggards are the people that are just hanging on to the bitter end. If you're here today and you're still rocking a Blackberry, you're the purple section, right? I like the clicky buttons. Click, 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 click. That would be you, okay? The product is disappearing, but you're holding on because it's what you know, all right? And so every product actually has a life cycle. Did you know that churches have life cycles? That's why there are empty churches, old buildings that were once filled with people, filled with life impacting the community, and now they're sitting empty with 12 people trying to keep the lights on. And, and the, the church has gone through this and is now in that, laggard, in that laggard phase. And so products have a life cycle. Even Jesus' ministry seemed to have this same type of life cycle. Now check this out. When Jesus shows up, when he shows up at the River Jordan, he shows up at the River Jordan, nobody knows who he is, and, and John's saying, this is the guy, all of a sudden, his disciples, they haven't heard Jesus preach a sermon yet, They haven't seen him heal people, open blind eyes. They haven't seen him do cool miracles yet. And yet, when they hear that this is the guy, they're all in. They're your early adopters. The disciples of John that began to follow Jesus from that day. I mean, they hadn't seen anything yet, and they were all in. And they begin to follow Jesus from that day. Then as Jesus' ministry begins, guess what happens? The crowds start to hear. He's feeding thousands of people. He's opening blind eyes. He's healing the lame. And the crowds begin to come in droves. Thousands and tens of thousands of people are following this guy everywhere he goes. He is the most popular thing in the world in that area at this time. I mean, Jesus is just this, this, he rises like, it's unbelievable. And everyone's following him and everybody's in, but the disciples were there first. And then towards the end of his three-year earthly ministry, Jesus begins to say hard things. One day he says, hey, unless you're willing to eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part in me. And people are like, whoa cannibalism, not cool. And, and, and some of his disciples and many of the crowds go, okay, this guy's off his rocker, and they begin to depart. And you see them, if, if we were looking at that image, they begin to depart on the back end. And then even, even as he comes into Jerusalem, he's coming into Jerusalem, and the crowds are waving palm branches, shouting Hosanna, but then he's arrested, and the crowds disband, and they leave him behind, and only a few faithful are still loyal to Jesus. And then he dies 
and everyone's gone except for a handful in hiding. And when he rises, um, there's just this small group of people. And that's why in, in Acts chapter 1, there's literally 120 faithful left over. So you have the, those that were there at the beginning, those that were there during his rise in fame, those who were there um, in the middle, and then those who were still there at the end. And so what Peter says is we have to find someone who was there the whole time. In fact, he says, look, the number one qualification we're looking for in the 12th apostle is this, faithfulness. Faithfulness. Someone who was there. Someone who didn't give up. Someone who kept showing up. Wherever Jesus went, whatever he did, no matter whether it was good or bad, whether things went well, whether they were hard, they kept showing up, kept turning up. We need to find someone like that. It continues in verse 22 of Acts chapter 1. One of these men, Peter says, must become a witness with us to his resurrection. See, we've got to find somebody who's been there the whole time with us. That's the qualification we need. And it says in verse 23, they put forward two. So out of all the people that were there, there was two candidates. Two. Two candidates that had been there from the baptism with John all the way to his ascension to heaven. There were two guys. Which is actually encouraging to me because you don't need many. But they have two potential candidates for the 12th apostle. One of them was called Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed because they had two good candidates who met the requirements, but they only had one position for apostle. So how are they going to decide? How would you decide? Back to the resume, have a preach-off? No. They have two great candidates, and they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them. And the lot fell to Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. So casting lots was basically like rolling dice. Can you imagine? They chose the 12th apostle. <laughs> like, blow on these. <laughs> maybe, maybe they drew, drew straws. We don't sure exactly how the lots went, what kind of a game or, or instruments they used. Uh, maybe it was rock, paper, scissors. It was basically something like that. They, they said, God, we're, we're putting this to chance, but really we know that you are going to determine which one you want, and so they threw the dice. Some of you may be wondering how I became pastor of this church. I rolled a pair of sixes. No, I'm kidding. I didn't. It's just a strange thing, isn't it? I mean, that, it's like, that's it? They're like, Matthias, you're the guy. And now they're going to go and change the world, and he's part of the core 12 that would represent Jesus on the earth and build the church. You know what's really interesting to me about this guy, Matthias, is this. This is the only place in the whole Bible he's mentioned. Like, is it? Like, his name is not to be found anywhere else. He's not mentioned in the Gospels. He's not mentioned in any of the letters, in the rest of the book of Acts. He just disappears, and yet he's there. And we really know nothing about Matthias except this. He was faithful. That's what we know. Matthias was faithful. He was faithful to Christ. He was faithful to the church. Merriam-Webster defines faithful in this way. Steadfast in affection or allegiance. Loyal. We know that um, Matthias was a steadfast and faithful man. And, and here's the thing about, about being faithful. He just kept showing up. That's the beautiful thing about faithfulness. You just keep showing up. Like, 
Whenever Jesus was preaching, he was there. Whenever Jesus traveled to another place, he followed along. When Jesus was doing miracles, he was standing there watching. He just, he just made a point to keep showing up, to faithfully follow Jesus in whatever way that he could. He just kept showing up. I was talking to somebody in the mall the other day. Just an, an old acquaintance came up to me and was just telling me, hey man, I've, you know, this person was telling me that they had been free from addiction for a long time. And he's like, you know how I do it? You know how I've done it? And I'm like, tell me. And he's like, I just keep showing up. I, keep, I haven't had a drink in all these years, but I keep going to AA to remind myself of where I could be. I keep going there to encourage other people to remember. He's like, I just keep showing up. You got to keep showing up. You can't just quit and move on. You got to keep showing up. You got to keep showing up. You know, this is the key to having a great marriage too. You just keep showing up. <laughs> it's like, trust me, there's not some amazing skill that you or I have. You just keep showing up through the thick through the thin, through the good, through the highs, through the lows, you just keep showing up. And I don't just mean physically. I mean mentally and emotionally. You engage. You show up. You show up faithful. And faithfulness is the key. It's also the secret to promotion. You want to get a raise. You want to do great things in your industry. You, 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 you need to be faithful. You got to show up. You got to engage. You got to, you got to work when nobody's looking because it's the right thing to do. It's faithful. It's faithful. And so we know that Matthias was, was faithful. He just, he just kept showing up. He just kept showing up. Now, it's amazing to me that Matthias was not in the inner circle. Like, so when Jesus would meet privately with his 12 disciples, Matthias wasn't included in that group. He was an outsider in that sense. He was outside that circle. Some people think, man, man, I would be faithful if I was in the inner circle. If I knew what was going on, I'd be faithful. No, Matthias like, I'm just going to be faithful no matter what. Wherever Jesus goes, I'm just going to be there. And he wasn't in the inner circle. He wasn't on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus went, only, only Peter, James, and John saw Jesus in his heavenly form, speaking with Moses, and whoa, Matthias wasn't there. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he, he had the last supper with his disciples. He washed their feet, showed them what it means to serve. Matthias wasn't there. He broke the bread and said, I want you to take this, and I want you to remember me and teach people to do this and remember my death. And all the disciples are going, what's going on? Matthias wasn't there. But he was faithful. He was faithful. He was faithful. And you know what? Maybe Matthias wasn't the greatest preacher. It seems like everywhere they went, Peter was always speaking up. I mean, he was the guy with the voice. Peter was like, hey, guys, we need to do this. Hey, guys, I'm going to preach a sermon. I don't know what Matthias's role was. I assume Matthew was probably the accountant for the group because he had been a tax collector. And I'm sure some of the other guys, I mean, some of them were fishermen, so they probably took care of lunch. Or, uh, they all had roles, you understand, within that group. What was Matthias's role? I mean, we don't know. Maybe he wasn't a great preacher. Maybe he wasn't eloquent. Maybe he didn't have a lot of education. We don't know, but he was faithful, and he just kept showing up. And so I wondered to myself, why is it so important for them to find somebody who had been there, who had been faithful to Christ through the whole thing? And, and here's, here's why I think it was so important. Because at some point down the road, maybe, maybe Peter and Matthias are traveling together, you know, because they're going two by two. And Peter stands up, and he's like, let me tell you about Jesus. Hallelujah. You know, he's a preacher, so he's energetic and dynamic, you know. He'll save your sins. He's rhyming. You know, he's got a song in the middle. There's a poem. I don't know. He's like, you crucified Jesus. We went, whoa, like it's powerful stuff, right? At the end of his message, he's going to have an altar call, and some guy in the back stands up and goes, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't believe that what you're saying is true. I don't believe that Jesus really rose from dead. It's a great story. 
I don't believe it happened. Hey, I, I don't believe that there was a guy that was born blind and Jesus put mud on his eyes and his eyes were open. I just don't believe that that happened. I don't believe that he fed 5,000 with a little boy's lunch. And Peter's about to shout him down, glory, hallelujah, and Matthias goes, hang on. Now, we don't know that this happened, but this could have happened. Matthias said, let me, let me I'll, I'll get this one. I was there. You can't argue with experience. I mean, you can, you can tell somebody all the facts. You can be like, oh, that can't happen. Like, it did. I was there. Oh, that, that couldn't be true. I saw it with my own eyes. You know, the most powerful tool that you and I have for sharing our faith with other people is our own experience. Because you may not know Greek or Aramaic. You may not understand the answers to the difficult questions that people are going to ask you about God or the Bible. But you know what you've experienced. And the main role of the apostles is to literally go, this is what I saw. This is what I heard. This is what Jesus did. And guess what? Your job is to do the very same thing. When you're talking to someone at work about your faith, all you have to do is say, this is what Jesus has done in my life. This is what I have seen with my own eyes. I grew up in the church, but I saw people who were alcoholics transformed by the power of God. Unexplainable. I saw marriages that were were finished And God brought them back together miraculously. And you go, how does that happen? It's the power of Jesus at work. I've seen people headed in this direction and absolutely transformed and changing directions. Their heart, their thinking, everything is transformed. You go, how did that happen? The power of the risen Savior. And God has transformed me. And I can just tell people, this is what I've seen. This is what I've heard. This is what I've experienced. It is the most powerful tool. It's the most powerful thing that you can do. And by the way, those of you who have been in church your whole life and you're mature in the faith, the most valuable thing you have is your experience. Some of you have been through horrific things and God carried you through. Some of you have experienced things. Some of you have uh, been through tragedy, victory, and everything in between. And you have experienced God's faithfulness to you. And the best thing you have to offer someone else is to come alongside them and be like, hey, let me tell you my story. Let me tell you how God showed up when I was going through something like you're going through. And you encourage them with your experience. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's like, um, man, experience. Google reviews. Okay? Now, who goes to a hotel's website anymore? Because you go to the hotel website and it's like, it's beautiful. There's pictures that they took when they first built it and everything was pristine. And there's all these beautiful things written about the foyer, the foyer, it's Canada Day, you know. There's all these things written about it, but what do you do? If you're like me, you go and you check Google reviews or you check the reviews somewhere, right? Because what you want is you want to know about somebody's personal experience. And it's amazing that you and I will actually trust somebody's personal experience over a $10,000 website with professional photography, Right? We'll go to ACAC559 and say, what was the hotel like? And we'll take their word over the website that the hotels put together. Am I wrong? Experience matters. And we have an opportunity to share with others what God has done for us. There's also um, a reward for faithfulness. Paul, Paul talks about this at great length in his letters. But Jesus also in his parables talks about how that God is faithful to reward those who are faithful to him. I just want to read a quick text. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul writes these words. He says, Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. 
Paul says, look, guys, there is a day coming when each and every one of us will stand before God by ourselves with everything we have done and said. And we're going to give an account for how we used our time, our money, our energy, whether we were faithful or not. This is one of the reasons why you don't have to worry about vengeance, getting back at everyone who's hurt you, because ultimately they're going to stand before God for what they did. That's a beautiful freedom that we have, but it's also scary because that means you and I are going to stand before him too, and we're going to put all the stuff that we've done, quote unquote, for God in front of him, and the flames are going to go whack, and whatever's left over that doesn't get burned away, those are the things that matter, and those are the things that we'll be rewarded for. He continues in verse 14, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive or she will receive a reward. This is amazing because God doesn't miss anything. God doesn't miss anything. And when we're faithful to him, he promises that there is always a reward for us. Um, A couple of weeks ago, I had an opportunity to to share for a few moments with our our volunteers for Pathway Kids. So we had a bunch of volunteers and we were talking about, and I was explaining to them how um, the work that they do, and there's typically a whole bunch of kids down the hall in classrooms, and the work that they do with those kids I was telling them that it's probably more significant than what I do on this stage. And there's statistics to back that up. That nearly 50% of the people in this room who are followers of Jesus, almost 50% of you made that decision before the age of 12 or 13. That the most opportune time to share the love of God and for a person to receive it is when they're young. Once they get old like us, right? We get stubborn. We get dumb smart. We think we know everything. We're trying to figure it all out. But kids have this ability to accept God by faith and grow in their faith in this incredible way. I said, look, I'm up there every week, you know, racking my brain on how to communicate this thing in a way that's going to land and that God will touch people's hearts. But you have a better opportunity back here. And you're down on the carpet with these kids, loving, praying for them, showing them the scriptures. You're probably going to have more effect for the kingdom than I will with this cool microphone. It's true. God rewards faithfulness, whether you're in the parking lot, whether you're serving in the back where nobody sees, whether you're doing things that no one on this earth will ever know about, giving money that nobody ever knows about, God sees and always rewards faithfulness. And so I wanted to share with you um, just a few pages of our annual report. Again, it's on our website. You can go and take a look at it later. But I I was just kind of reflecting back on last year. And again, all there's great things that God's doing here within our church. And I was thinking about how The great things that God is doing are not specifically dependent upon me and my preaching or our worship teams, although we're all doing our part. It's really about um, the faithful people of our church, serving, giving, loving, praying. That's how the body of Christ is built. So there's a letter from me. You can, I don't want to look at myself, so you can just turn that. Um, We've got a couple of things, a couple of events we did last year, which were really exciting. The big egg hunt with thousands of people from our community show up at uh, the wellness center and our church served them. What an awesome experience. Um, Christmas Eve, we, we, uh, we filled the, uh, the theater downtown and got to share the Christmas message with lots of our friends and family. That was exciting. A um, couple of numbers and statistics. Again, uh, numbers are important because behind every number, there's a person that God loves, right? So numbers are important. It's amazing when I read the Bible how it's like they actually counted how many people Jesus fed. It was 4,000 on this occasion. It was 5,000. They knew there was 120 people in the upper room. They counted people because people count. Uh, we, we had, uh, in 2017, 160 adults actively participating in small groups, which is amazing, because when you add all the kids 
to that. That's a very large number of people that were attending and being faithful in that, which is amazing because that's where community is built. We had volunteers, 140 volunteers on regular rotation last year serving in our various areas of ministry. And that doesn't even include stuff outside of Sunday. So that's just phenomenal. Kids and youth, uh, last year we worked with 98 kids regularly. So over the course of a month, kids come and go through the system, but we were working with 98 kids on a regular basis, which is bigger than most churches, bigger than the average church in Ontario, which is really exciting. So we have this young generation that are learning about faith because of the faithfulness of this church. That's exciting. Our youth ministry saw 66 kids from grade 6 through 12 attending each month. So there was all these kids that they were working with faithfully and volunteers that were driving all of that as well. What else have we got? Some numbers. Our attendance was 230 to 250 or 350 a Sunday. There's kind of a little graph. It's fun. With seven baptisms, five dedications last year. And, uh, and then we have some financial um, information there. Again, you can look at It's probably hard to see where you're sitting, but you can look at it on our website. Um, you can see how the money is divided into our various areas of ministry. What's really exciting is we exceeded our budget last year by 6%, so that's awesome. And our budget was 21% more than the previous year, so we're just seeing consistent growth both in attendance, in uh, giving, in our ministry programs, and the number of kids and families we're reaching. So that's exciting, and all of that is possible because of faithful people. Faithful people. People who just keep showing up. People who, like you, show up on Canada Day to celebrate Jesus and to worship together. I want to close with one more passage of Scripture. And uh, I, I heard a sermon by Jensen Franklin. He was talking about this guy, Matthias. And he, he finished his sermon here, and I just thought, I've got I to share this with you because I think this is pretty cool. In Revelation 21, so the very tail end of the Bible, we have this vision of heaven in all of its glory. And the Bible's about to be closed. And it describes the new Jerusalem... And he says this in Revelation 21, verse 14. And the wall of the city had, surprise, 12 foundations. And on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Jesus' 12 apostles. So, putting the names on these foundations, you know, Peter. Everyone expects him to be there. James, John, Matthew, Philip, Nathaniel. There's another Judas that was actually two Judases, so not Iscariot. There's that Judas, and there's a few other names that escape me. And then they get to the 12th one, and they're like, oh, well, Judas killed himself. Well, who do we put on the 12th foundation? Someone says, Matthias. Who's that? It's not even in the Bible. I mean, just that one little place. I mean, who is this guy? And I can just imagine Jesus stepping up and going, I know who he is. He was faithful to me. He put his name on the foundation of the New Jerusalem. It is amazing what God will do with faithful people who are faithful to him, who are faithful to serve, who are faithful to love others. Thanks for listening to the Pathway Church Podcast. If you'd like to reach out to us, go to our website, pathwaylife.com. And as always, don't forget to subscribe. See you next week.